So there was one thing that you and Federico 100% could not have predicted for 2018 with Nintendo <laughs> on the last episode. And that is Nintendo Labo, which was announced a couple of days after the last episode went out. Um, if you're not aware, Nintendo Labo is a selection and will eventually assumedly be a growing selection of buildable cardboard peripherals for the Nintendo Switch with a software title called Nintendo Labo that comes along in the kits. And assumedly, you you could buy additional cardboard pieces to play different games in the future. And it's using all of the sensors and stuff that the Switch has in some ingenious other ways to allow you to play little mini games. Like there's like a piano game and a fishing game and an RC game. There's a bunch of like, it's super weird. It is maximum Nintendo. Like, I think it is the most Nintendo-y Nintendo has ever been. Um... I don't think that this is what I necessarily would have said I wanted to see them do, right? Like, I don't think I could have imagined, like, this was where I wanted them to be. But my overall feeling on Labo is like, sure. Like, why not? Because if this helps you sell more Switches to people that weren't already buying Switches, which is assumedly the reason you would do this, then go for it. It's not hurting anything. You know, Nintendo has surprised everyone with the success of Switch. I think they surprised themselves. And what this enormous success has given them is a foundation on which they can be risky. I don't think they would have done this had Switch not done that well. They would have been looking at safe ways of trying to Make sure Switch stayed alive as long as possible, yeah. making sure that their warehouses were empty, making sure that all of their best games were brought in earlier. But now you can just imagine their execs sitting back with their feet up on the oak tables, metaphorical cigars out, brainstorming like crazy, thinking, if we were quintessentially Nintendo, what would we do? And at heart, yep. they're a toy company. Yep. That's what they are. They're a toy company. And, and the Switch is one of the most beautiful toys I've ever made. And they're thinking, how can we make this more toy-like? Which is kind of going back to their roots, right? Like, yeah, you know, and, exactly. And the thing is, the other part of it, like the, the third-party games and all that kind of stuff, that's all locked up. Like, that's taken care of uh, probably at a rate which is faster than Nintendo even themselves could have expected like the developer interest that they're having. So why not play around with it now? Because it doesn't matter now because you set, they're set, right? Like it's good. I don't think there is at this point literally anything that Nintendo can do to drum up any more interest than they currently already have for this hardware revision, right? There are things they can do for Switch 2 to make it more appealing, right, to some developers, they are probably going to get every game they could conceivably get. Like, it's they're, they're set because the Switch, by all accounts, could be the best-selling video game console system of all time 
it's possible because yeah i think it's heading there they're breaking records left and right every record there is to break they're currently breaking it so this is as much as they could ever possibly do to try and entice the games you assume that they're working on their own games so why not now try and sell more of these things by tr- by attempting to do what the Wii did? Because the Switch isn't appealing to people in the same way that the Wii did, I don't think. I think the Switch appeals to people because it's like, to many, the best video games console because it's the video games console you can have everywhere, right? Like to to, so, to gamers of all ages... And to gamers of all like time periods, like you may have not had a video games console in 10 years, but you remember as a kid that this was the only type of video games console you wanted. And so you go and buy it because it seems perfect. But people were buying the Wii because your whole family could play. And I feel like that Labo is an attempt at trying to get that going again, right? Like the whole family-ness. And, and Nintendo have basically said this. Right, that that they they wanted to do something for kids and for adults with like imaginative childlike hearts or something, you know, like that kind of idea. So I think this is great. Like I have ordered the variety packs just so I can see it. Um, I expect that I will play it for a day and and it not be that interesting to me anymore. I don't think there's a knock on it um, because this isn't for me. Like this is not meant for me. But I want to see what they've done because it looks pretty impressive. So that's some follow-up on Nintendo because obviously there's been a significant change. Um, and I'm so we're going to talk about Microsoft today as well as Apple and uh, VR and Steam. And I'm kind of happy that we have Microsoft left over to today because we didn't have a ton to say. <laughs> Surprise, we don't have a ton to say about Microsoft Um because we never really have on this show, honestly. But then they went and announced something which is incredibly compelling, which is some significant improvements to the Xbox Game Pass. Now, for anybody that's not aware, the Xbox Game Pass is effectively like a Netflix for Microsoft Xbox games. It is a subscription service. Um, There is a gaming library of good but mostly older games um it currently has a hundred over a hundred titles in the library i mean it's a bunch of great stuff but it's not you know the latest and greatest and it's uh nine dollars and 99 cents or 7.99 um in pounds um but now the what they have announced is from now on all new xbox one exclusive games will be added to the pass so this includes upcoming games like Sea of Thieves, Sea of Thieves, which is an exclusive, uh, State of Decay 2 and Crackdown 3, and all new iterations of games like Halo and Forza and Gears of War will, of course, join this. This is really smart and only the type of move you would see from the company in last place. Right? Yeah, I, th- I think that's fair. They have got to pull the rabbit out of the hat. And this is cool. And they would never do this if they were leading. There'd be absolutely no, no need for them to... Because then you're selling these games hand over fist if you're in the, if you're in the exactly. league. So why, would you, why exactly. would you leave money on the table by giving it away for people for free in some instances? 
Exactly. Can you imagine anyone at PlayStation sanctioning a move like this for the up-and-coming God of War or last year's um, Horizon Zero Dawn? Can you imagine it? It just it just never happened. But if they had a race to try and catch up in, not just that, but they intend to stay in this for the long term. Because that's the other thing you've got to think about, right? Let's think about Microsoft wanting Xbox to be a player in whatever form for the next five, ten years. They wouldn't need to do something like this. They're doing this because not only do they want to help support Xbox One X and Xbox One, but whatever else they've got coming down the line. So I suspect this is a commitment to try and regain the top spot that they lost and that they feel so bitterly about. Uh, and I think it's a very provocative statement because it is, as you say, it's like it's like a Netflix. It becomes a Netflix more when you start to put your top-tier titles in there. Mm-hmm. Because if you look at previous services, it was always, oh, let, let's get this old piece of rope, so to speak, mm-hmm. and throw it into the library. You know, people are getting it as part of their subscription, so it's no big deal. You didn't put your crown jewels in there, but Netflix does. Now, here's the thing with Netflix, of course. Netflix, as a platform, was available on just about every device, whereas Microsoft, uh, Microsoft's Xbox Game Pass is available on a much more limited number of devices. You ain't going to find this in the same places that you would find Netflix, and not just for hardware compatibility reasons. You're not going to find it because it's part of Microsoft's core strategy to keep their own IPs close to their own platforms. So my guess is there is something really amazing coming from Microsoft, hardware-wise. I don't know how far away. Could be this year. Don't know. I reckon more like an announcement this year that will support Game Pass and will support the growing of a Netflix-like service where the best games, either first-party games or second-party games, go straight in. And that makes whatever hardware they're selling utterly compelling. So this is obviously great for Xbox One Pass subscribers, uh, Xbox Game Pass subscribers. It's great for people that have an Xbox, right? But part of the problem with Microsoft right now, and we said this on the show, is unavoidable exclusives. Like, they don't have a ton of them. And for whatever reason this might be, I mean, the the reason you can naturally assume is people want to be where the most install base is. So they're going to PlayStation for their top-tier exclusives, right? So what Microsoft needs is more of them and, and more really good stuff. Stuff like Sea of Thieves, which is shaping up to look like a really interesting game. But here is my question. They need them. Does this help? I don't know if this helps. So if you are a developer with a top-tier game and Microsoft comes to you and says, we want you to be exclusive, but you can't... But, like, it's going to be in this subscription service. Do you want that as a AAA developer? No. And as a second-party developer, you don't want that either because it massively limits your your back-end, you know, your royalty stream. Now, my understanding is that the Netflix deal is not that great. 
And I would imagine that the deal for getting your game into Xbox Game Pass as a launch title would be would be okay, but it wouldn't cover the costs of a truly spectacular title that moves the needle. And if you look at some of the games that they are going to put in, I mean, Crackdown 3 is a big game, right? But it smacks of a little bit of desperation because big games cost a lot of money and the most important thing about them is that they are few and far between. So not only are players limited in terms of time, because you can see that they're going to play the same game for months on end. Like if you just had two games for 2017 and they were Super Mario Odyssey and, and Breath of the Wild, you'd be good, right? Mm-hmm. There's very little time left over. Now, with, with Xbox, if you've got Crackdown 3... State of Decay 2, Sea of Thieves, maybe one Halo, maybe one Forza. There's already more than enough games to play. Where's the room for other titles? Also, how do you think third parties are going to feel when they try to sell their games using standard channels? Because now they're up against the cream of the crop being given away as part of a $10 a month service. They're not going to like that. It's going to make the market very tough for them. If Microsoft have got, say, 10, 15, 20 excellent top-tier titles and all you've got to pay is $10 a month, you know, seven ninety nine in the UK, I guess, how do you think a traditional Microsoft third-party partner is going to feel about going up against free launches like that? Yeah, see, I don't... Th- this is the problem, right? Because what Microsoft are hoping for here is that the service is so compelling that they get inundated with people signing up, right? Because if you get inundated with people signing up, you can say, haha, don't worry about those $50 prices. We can give you this much money, guaranteed, right? And then that's like a whole different scenario, and that might be able to entice some people in, but I don't think that's going to happen. If that ends up being the case, and then this ends up hurting them getting exclusives even further, Mm -hmm. I don't know what you do, because then also, they can't go back from this now. Like, this is a turning point, because... I don't know, I I think they can, Mike. I think they can. You think they can? But then they're just going to upset all of their most devoted customers. But not this generation. They, they, let's say they completely lose this generation. This is a move of desperation. I don't mm-hmm. think it is. I think there's some strategy behind it. Oh, it's, it's strategy for sure. Like, yeah, so I, I don't think it's desperation, but I just, I just can't imagine Sony doing this. No, they can't. They have no need of doing this. But here's the thing you, with Netflix, you have an all or nothing service. You have newly commissioned content going straight in, and you don't have an option where you can buy stuff. And you don't have an option where third parties can sell their stuff through Netflix. It all comes out through the same subscription service. So they already have their store and they have this. And now it's a little bit confusing, you know. But the other thing is with the likes of Activision, they can sell every unit they print. Why would they want to put it into a service like this? There'd be absolutely no need at all. So I suspect it's going to be much more a vehicle for delivering their first, pass, first party content, which in turn makes the console more compelling which in turn leads to more sales of the console which for the third parties gives them a bigger platform to launch against yeah it's interesting i mean so like you know the way that they describe it is like 
Xbox One exclusive games from Microsoft Studios, right? Like that's what they're they're looking for. But this does still require, you know, your companies like, say, like what Naughty Dog is to PlayStation, right? You know, there are going to be titles coming along where Microsoft are going to say, like, hey, let us publish this for you. And now it becomes a little bit of a harder sell, I think, for a company to know that their that their game is going to go into the service and they may not see enough money. I think it's just making it more difficult for them. Um, this is a, I don't know, this is a very tricky, I think this is a very tricky thing. And uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm, in, I'm intrigued to see where they end up going with this because I think that you are, as we say, like you are making it very difficult for a company like Activision to come along and want to do something exclusive or because it, it's muddying the waters now in a, in a way which is is pretty tricky so yeah I'm, I'm keen to see what they do there i'm keen to see if more companies become exclusive to to xbox like if if more if there are other developers now that will try and join on for microsoft studios publishing because of this uh i don't know I, i'm i'm keen to see what ends up going on with this one but if you are a a xbox uh, consumer, like if if you if Xbox is your choice, like this is probably a pretty good deal now, because you pay you know, in effect a hundred dollars a year, and you could end up with five excellent games, right? And and then that ends up to be a pretty good, pretty big like a cost ratio for you. So we'll see. Um, I did want to put a call out. So like you know, we we have neglected xbox a lot recently um and this has mostly been because we haven't been interested so i want to know you know besides games like cuphead what xbox games should be on my radar so of our listeners out there that get frustrated of us because we don't put the focus on microsoft let us know i'd be interested to know all right, today's show is brought to you by Squarespace. Use the offer code insertcoin at checkout to get 10% off your first purchase. Make your next move with Squarespace. They let you easily create a website for your next idea. And with a unique domain name, award-winning templates, and more, they are the perfect place for your next project. No matter what type of website you want to create, Squarespace is the all-in-one platform that can let you do it. If you want to have a blog, if you want to have a site for your business, if you even want to integrate an online store, there's nothing to install. There are no patches to worry about, no upgrades needed. They can do all of this stuff. You don't have to worry about it because they've got you covered. They even have you covered with 24-7 customer support in case you need any help or assistance. Squarespace plans start at just $12 a month. You can start a trial out with no credit card required by going to squarespace.com. And you can play around with the whole system. You can, uh, you can build your entire site under the free trial if you want to before you publish it to the world you know you can then sign up and 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 publish it out to the world right you can make it a public thing once you sign up for a plan but i love their free trial because you get to go in and actually play with the system and make your site the way you want it and then when you sign up just use the offer code insert coin and you'll get 10 percent off your first purchase and show your support for this show our thanks to squarespace for their support of relay fm squarespace make your next move make your next website so let's talk about Apple. Um, there have been some uh, announcements over the last couple of days about AR kit. Um, it, it's looking like we're going to get the detection of vertical surfaces 
and camera autofocus with better camera image quality coming to ARKit 1.5, which is going to come out in the spring with iOS 11.3. Seems interesting. Yeah, I'm really excited about ARKit and I'm looking forward to seeing what developers do with it, but I'm actually much more excited about what Apple are going to do with this. I would really like to see Apple do something non-gamey, which I know is an odd thing to say, but I think that's where the use of technology is going to be the most useful to show the largest cross-section of developers just what's possible with it. So something that becomes essential, that Apple create, that requires AR, then becomes a reference point for how everybody interacts with not just normal apps, but games as well. Mm. It just becomes part of the the language of using a mobile device, you know? I don't think we're quite there yet. And I think 1.5 helps get us a little bit more close to that. Maybe it's maps. I don't know. Uh you know, they have got their own map stuff now, so it'd be very easy for them to go in and make it AR-enhanced, especially if you think about it, with detection of um, vertical spaces, they can then overlay information on buildings. Hmm. Yeah, so, I mean, they, they talk, there is like also discussion of uh, object detection and stuff like that as well, mm, mm. Um, as a way to try and ma- ma- marry these two things together, which is... Very interesting, right? Yeah, it's not necessarily going to be totally reliable to begin with, but it doesn't have to be. Yep. Because here's the thing, it's not core to the whole iPhone experience. It is something that they're going to develop. And let's face it, we're talking about a 1.5 here. We're not talking about a, a 3.0 or anything. So it's it's early days, but I expect it to become more and more prevalent. It will just become part of the standard language of a phone. And I think that's just going to be absolutely fantastic for games. I don't expect to see too many games doing the outdoor stuff because that has been done and it it's okay, but only I'd say only one or two games a year are going to be able to pull that off. But for indoor stuff, I think it could be absolutely incredible. And also, here's, here's the other thing that doesn't get done enough is, is games that are on-off. You know, they require a few seconds of your attention, you go in, you do something, you get out, and then you continue later. Whereas with um, certain, I won't mention any names, but certain AR type games in the past, you had situations where people were just on it constantly while they were on the go, and mm. that's not necessarily the best way of doing it. There are neater ways of doing it, and I expect to see more, more games that take advantage of uh, an on-off style of gameplay. Much more interrupt-driven, you know, like social media. You know, you have a look at a stream, do a few likes, you do a few shares, you leave a comment and you pop out and then you're back in again a bit later, many times a day. That's the kind of use case for for a mobile device. And that's the way I think Apple will want AR to go as well. It won't change the way people fundamentally use a device. That's not what they're trying to do, I don't think. I think they understand how people use a device. It's get it out of your pocket. Because here's the thing, right? It's not plugged in all the time. So you've got to be careful with the battery. Because think about how much battery power that camera is using um, and all of the the logic that's running to make sure that AR is tracking perfectly. It's it's juicy, right? And they're already having trouble getting a, a battery, phone battery, to last long enough. So 
I think all of this stuff is important. Just making sure that people follow the traditional use patterns of a mobile phone so that they can do both AR and have the battery last a reasonable amount of time. And if Apple can provide the reference for that, then I think games will follow. I don't expect basically anything else from Apple in regards to uh, gaming this year. Um, I think that the AR kit stuff is great. I expect them to talk about more AR kit stuff at WWDC, right? Just to continue along that. I think AR kit is as much as we're going to get. I don't expect any AR hardware from Apple this year, if ever. Um, I would like to see them continue the the focus that they've had on indie games with their App Store stories features and stuff, because I think they've been fantastic. Um, but that's it from me. Like, I don't know if you expect anything else, but I don't. My expectations for Apple in gaming um, kind of remain to be basically non-existent. Everything that they're doing currently is more than I typically expect them to ever do. Yeah, I, I kind of agree. And I have to say, I really like the new App Store. I've started buying games on the iPhone again. And it's purely down to the new App Store, the stories about developers um yep and and the way that they're now curating in a much more interesting way I, i'm really enjoying it and i am buying games again and there are actually a couple of ios games i played a fair bit uh towards the back end of last year as well just because of their new approach so you're right they're they're kind of doing everything that you can expect them to do people don't primarily buy iphones to play games it's just they expect games to be there but they they buy it for all of the other stuff so apple don't need to worry too much about their support of games on on their devices not now and probably not ever yep i agree with you um i want to talk about vr um which maybe isn't kind of accurate in regards to platforms because i want to talk about the vive and oculus and psvr like all in one kind of bucket because uh, obviously this is spanning three different companies, three different platforms, basically, right? Uh, but I want to just kind of mesh this all together. So I want to look at hardware, right? Because everything else is platform-based. PC gaming and it's PlayStation, right? And you've got Steam. And we're going to talk about Steam in a minute. But I want to look at hardware because there's a few things we know and there are a few questions I have. So something that we know is that the HTC Vive is seeing a couple of interesting upgrades. One is the Vive wireless adapter, which is very intriguing to me. It is like this antenna that looks like antenna that you're able to attach to the top of the Vive headset and plug everything in. And then all you need, the only wire that comes off of the headset is to, to like a USB battery or something, which you can just put in your pocket. And then you can be on the Vive, truly wireless, with tracking in a physical space. This feels like a very interesting VR proposal at this point. I know it's more stuff on your head, and it's kind of awkward. But my assumption would be that if they can now build all of this technology, eventually they can get it all into one unit. Yeah, we're definitely heading there. It's always going to be a matter of time. Wireless is a big challenge simply because of the amount of data that's being transferred. 
And of course, because it's VR, ideally you want to transfer twice as much data, one for each, one set of data for each eye. And of course, it's not just one set of data for each eye, you want a faster refresh rate as well. And at the moment, the resolutions are okay, but they've got to go up. So whatever wireless standard they come up with has got to support the continuing drive to increase resolution for each eye. And then there's a field of view problem. Field of view is okay at the moment, but it's not the field of view of the human eye. So there's still this kind of boxing in effect. So again, whatever solution that they're proposing has got to allow for the increased development in all of these vectors so that it can cope in the future. But it will happen. It's just technology, right? And I haven't tried one of these yet, but the liberation you feel just trying a standard three degrees of freedom headset and being able to swivel in a chair is quite remarkable. Yes, you miss out on a lot of stuff. So imagine all of that with the six degrees of freedom device and one that will eventually get lighter because these devices will get lighter. You know, we know that. It's not a it, 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 it's not even a question mark. It's just a matter of time as Moore's law whatever form that takes nowadays, gives us exactly what we want. You won't even know that you're wearing something on the head. But the great thing about it for me is I've done a lot of development with VR over the last couple of years. And the single biggest problem for me is not the headset. And it's not the demand to get a good frame rate because that's just technology. Again, you just got to program it right. It's none of these things. It's, it's the cables. <laughs> They're everywhere. And you feel tethered. And the biggest consideration I have when sticking even something as user-friendly as a PSVR on my head is I can't spin, <laughs> you know? Once I've turned the other way, I've got to worry about this cable. I don't want to yank it out of the machine. And that, that for me is a huge consideration. And never mind the consideration of the move controllers losing tracking. The main consideration for me is I always feel tethered. And if... HTC are able to get rid of that feeling. That is going to be stupendous because you will stop. No as long as you've got a comfortable headset, right? You will stop noticing it because you'll start to move your head in a very instinctive way. Think about the way uh, a, a VR experience is designed. They don't want you doing 180 degree turns and no, then another 180 degree turn very quickly unless everything's self-contained. A good VR experience will ensure that you don't have to worry about that. But once you're untethered, they can do whatever they want. They can make you look over your shoulder, not quite 180 degrees, but let's say you're looking over, over your left shoulder, and then they can make you turn further over that way and know that they don't have to worry about you getting caught up in a mess of wires. At the moment, as a designer, you have to worry about these things. You have to worry about not making your user turn around and get completely tangled. And if they can get rid of that problem, that's going to be a huge breakthrough. You're really going to feel a new level of immersion. Yeah, and they also announced along with this... Um the HTC Vive Pro, which is more powerful and has dual OLED displays, which has a 78% increase in resolution over the current Vive. And mm. I can only think that that amount of resolution increase 
coupled with an entirely untethered from a PC experience is going to propel the Vive in terms of quality at a point where Oculus have not announced anything comparable. Now, of course, it might just be that they're not ready to talk about it yet, right? Because their focus right now is on the Oculus Go, which is a standalone headset, which is basically like having a phone strapped to your face, but it's a standalone headset. It's being made by Xiaomi. Um, honestly, it's not very compelling, I think. It's like $200, uh, but it's it's just got like a Snapdragon chip inside of it. It's just... It's it's like all of the Samsung stuff and the Google stuff, right? Like it's, I don't know what you think, but like I don't think that that product seems very compelling. But no, it's an intro. It, yeah, you know, it's an intro. It's a taster. But I, I I really do think that if it is a three degrees of freedom headset, it's a waste of time because that re- that for me isn't VR. I'm I'm not playing with any of those devices, and I I have never done. I don't think they're they're useful at all. They're kind of a very, very cut-down, limited experience. What I'm interested in is um, Oculus's Project Santa Cruz, which they have discussed before. It's their next-gen headset. It's wireless. It's room scale. There's going to be an Oculus Connect 5 this year, and I would expect to see more details at that conference. I think I'd like to go to that one because that is going to be very cool. But uh, I'd be interested to see what they're able to do because really... I know that I know that the HTC Vive it is a little bit more space hungry, right? Like physical space hungry. Yep. But there's a good reason for that, right? Because it actually can can deal with movement in a in a way that the Oculus cannot. So like for me personally, the Vive would be tricky with the room setup that I would want to I would want to put something like this in my office, right? Which is why I think I would probably go with Oculus right now. But Let's imagine a future in which, really, you want to have good room tracking. I mean, HTC, uh, uh, the Vive, right, HTC and Steam, or Valve, I should say, they're, they're pulling ahead with this because they're building a really powerful system where you can actually move around in now. Like, it's, it seems very... Well, you can move around in without tripping over a cable, right? Like, I've never felt comfortable playing the Vive because every time I play the Vive, I step on the cable. And... <laughs> That makes me uncomfortable because then I feel I don't feel like I can freely move around. I actually feel more vulnerable because mm. there's a huge cable that I step on when I do move around. So like I don't, you know, it makes me feel uncomfortable because of that. Yeah, you're not truly immersed, are you? No, because you're constantly in fear of ripping a cable out of something or tripping which is over. not in the space that you're in. Mm-hmm. You know, you're constantly aware of the space outside, which is the exact opposite point of what these things are supposed to do. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But I think this is where Microsoft's approach is quite interesting. I think Santa Cruz Oculus's approach will also use this, but the whole inside out tracking so that you don't have to have external uh, sensors to track your position. The room will be sensed by the headset itself. So that's where I think Microsoft's approach could could work quite well. And this is where, where I also think we're going to have some kind of announcement from microsoft or xbox this year probably more so microsoft because they've been um that uh, as you know they, they've been talking about the hololens and uh 
giving demos of that and they got developers working on stuff and they've used some of that technology i believe in their mixed reality proposition which is licensed out to various headset manufacturers and that's using an inside out tracking which is pretty robust so you don't have to worry you no longer have this room scale problem you know it's all handled you don't have to have all these cameras and sensors or whatever all over the place so i would like to see i'm not 100 percent sure but i would like to see something from them this year that is in that space i'm not sure exactly where it'll be whether it'll be vr or uh, ar or some kind of mixed reality headset but i expect it to be very impressive i expect it to be uh, i'm not sure 100 percent whether it will be cable free i don't think so not this year unless they announce it and then and they're releasing it next year in which case they might announce some kind of cable-free mixed reality proposition that's going to be hard to beat. Yeah, and it is worth noting at this point that there isn't a release date for the new uh, HTC stuff, like the HTC Vive stuff. It's like this year, but there's no date on that. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's going to be interesting to see how that pans out. Let me ask you, Shahid, what are we realistically expecting to come from the PSVR? I would imagine that they're working on replacements for the Move controllers. Okay. That's got to be in the works, right? We've seen various patent applications go in. There was one announced, well, I say one announced not by PlayStation, but somebody picked up on on yet another Move replacement style patent application recently. I'm not sure any of these are going to come to light, but I would be really surprised if they they didn't recognize that the biggest weakness right now is the single camera and the two move controllers. So expect something like that to be announced at some point, along with the next generation PSVR. I don't see it coming out this year, but I see the whole thing as a package with, perhaps with haptics. That would be cool. Perhaps with haptics. Yeah, I think that for me is the most important area uh, for any of the VR companies to tackle next. I would like to see that announced this year to come out next year. Because that, that, that's the way they did it with the um, you know, the, the Project Morpheus stuff before it became PSVR. It was announced, it was talked about. And so I don't see any reason why they need to, given their more open um, approach with VR, more co- collaborative and so on, I don't see any problem with them announcing something before it comes out. It's not a total consumer project at this point. Every company still iterating, trying to get to the next page of this book, if you like. I still think three generations away we are from having some kind of mainstream adoption of all of this technology. And in the meantime, PlayStation still remains the leading player. So they don't need to rush this. They've got the the largest install base. They're going to continue getting content in this year. they got probably the best content lineup so far. But I do hope to see an announcement and... They won't necessarily give us a date, but it'll probably be 2018, um, sorry, 2019 before something comes out. I think that that'll be long enough because, what, it's been out now three years, PSVR? This might be going into the third year. I feel mm. like two. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I want to see something. I mean, there's games, but I've just become as time has gone on, just more and more frustrated with the hardware 
Um, yeah, it came out in October 2016. So we're, we're not even two years. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I think uh, I'm getting confused because I've been previously working on it a lot longer ago than that. So, so yeah, okay. So if it's not even two years then, then I can't see that they'd be coming out with something before three years have passed. But there could be... The headset could remain the same, mm. but the move controls could change. They could, but why would they do that? Because that would improve so much of what's wrong with it. Like, if, if they were able to release a new camera and new move controllers, it would improve significantly, in theory, the worst part of the hardware, which is the tracking. If they can maintain backwards compatibility with the existing setup, then I would say that would be a good move. And if they can't, I'd say it's not a good move. I agree with you completely. So what about Steam, then? Well, Steam goes from strength to strength. In 2017... 7,600 plus new games. Gosh. That's according to Steam Spy. Uh, I, I don't think that figure is wildly out. I think the real number might actually be higher than that. I see that figure climbing easily past 10,000 in 2018. Now that you don't have the green light process, now that you have Steam Direct, and it costs you just what, like 100 bucks deposit, which you get back if you sell that many games to launch a game in Steam. Um, what I'd really like to see is them continue to improve the visibility side of things. What I've noticed over the last year, though, is that developers are getting better at selling titles that wouldn't ordinarily get front page. So they're marketing titles better. That I found very interesting. There was uh, one particular developer. Uh, I can share a link in the show notes where... Because his marketing was so focused, so tight, so self-deprecating and so exclusive, managed to do good business over a game that ordinarily would get zero visibility. And that, I think, is a formula that's being followed more and more by smaller developers. Because the biggest mistake a developer can make is to try and appeal to too wide a market. You're not mass market, so don't try and do that. For the larger developers, of course, people who are releasing the PUBGs of this world, well... You can be as broad as you like, because let's face it, that is a very, very broad audience at the moment. So I, I just see Steam going from strength to strength. I still think it's a fantastic platform. Uh, Valve are totally committed to improving it, to making sure that people can get the best as developers out of it, giving them the tools to do that giving them a whole bunch of services that they can use to appeal to customers through Steam. It's a really good service, Mike. You know, this is the thing that people tend to forget. Yes, it's the biggest, and some people complain that it's too big, but they work really hard on giving their developers and publishers an excellent service and an excellent set of tools. It's still good value for money. Loads of people have it. You know, loads of customers have Steam. So I, I see... Uh, 2018 going very well for Steam as a platform. As for Valve, I really would like to see them release those VR games they've been talking about for a while. That'd be nice. Did I tell you that I went to Valve? No. <laughs> I I had a tour of their office in Seattle. It, that, that, 
this should have had a whole remaster dedicated to it. Yeah, I know, I know. But uh, I'll, I'll. Did t- you take we'll- video? No, no, I didn't take any <laughs> pictures even. Um, I am kidding. I was given a very nice tour um, around there. We'll, we can talk about it another time. Cause that, I, I, I don't even know if I've spoken to Federico about it either. Um, but it was a, it was very interesting to see how much equipment they had to do testing of um the vive like what i was really impressed with about them just in general and this is like a relatively new office for them they seem to have a almost corporate mantra right now of bringing everything in one building so like they are building mocap rooms inside of their offices so they can just right. do everything there. It's a very interesting building. It was very, very interesting. They are a eternally interesting company to me. And one of the things, actually, that I do find so interesting about them is their dual role of platform and developer. You know, they are Valve and they are Steam. And this actually leads us into one last thing we want to talk about, which is PUBG. Player unknown battlegrounds. Mm-hmm. The reason that is interesting for me, right, is because you get that like, PUBG is most successful on Steam, which is something that Valve owns, and PUBG mm-hmm. finally knocked Dota off the top of most mm. most concurrent games, which is what Valve make, right? Mm-hmm. And there is like this interesting dual role in the company. But we should talk about PUBG. <laughs> what can we say about PUBG? It's just crossed 4 million on Xbox One. 4 million on on a console. And it's only come out recently on the Xbox One. It's got a total audience of over 34 million. They've recently talked about writing a 2 million check to charity. You know, you don't talk about that kind of stuff publicly unless you are minting it. Yeah. And you're embarrassed, you know. I mean, all this money really should do something good with it. Someone's just gone, just write a check to charity and make it big. You yep. know? <laughs> How much change they've... can we find down the side of the couch cushions? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's an utter phenomenon. And it's such a phenomenon that it's coined imitators from the likes of Epic. I mean, it's just incredible. The, the whole last man standing uh, trope now, I've called it a trope, and yet it, it's not a... Um, a well-used one, is just huge. And to me, it shows that there is still magic in a single mechanic. You know, that you had you had Minecraft, and we thought we'd never see the likes of it again. I'm not saying this is Minecraft, but it is a phenomenon that occupies the same kind of mental register that the likes of Pokemon Go, Minecraft, and so on does. It is, yeah, it's a phenomenon. And they've had to deny rumors that they're making a movie. I see PUBG becoming huge this year, as if it wasn't already huge. But everyone is going to be playing it. They want to have it everywhere, right? Because that that exclusive with Microsoft, there is a clock ticking on that. And I would expect in 2018, it will be on PS4. and. Yep. I mean, I think they're probably going to try and find a way to put it on Switch if it's possible. You know, the, the, 
the guy in charge of Blue Hole has said, like, very specifically, when asked about Nintendo Switch, I think he said, we want to have PUBG on every platform. Like, it is wild. It is really wild. It is a, a, a very interesting company, right? Because of where they come from. It's mm. like they're Korean. It's very different, right? Like, it's, it's, it's kind of very different to have this complete worldwide smash hit success right these games usually come from america but not this one and it is it is interesting and is as successful as it is considering how basic a game it has remained there are two maps hmm. right and it's like it is purely i mean cuz you know they were not the first game to do a battle royale style game but they polished and perfected it to a formula that I don't think anybody else is going to be able to do. Like, this is theirs for the taking for a while. Um, and I'm very keen to see how they try and move into esports as well. They clearly want to do that. But unfortunately, the 100-person team game does not work for esports because it is impossible mm. to know where to focus on, right? Yeah. So I'm yeah. also keen to see uh, what they're going to do there. Yeah, this is a... This is like a whole... I mean, it, it seems strange to be talking about one specific video game when we're talking about kind of our platform expectations for the year. But PUBG is at that level right now. It's the biggest video game in the world by yeah, a significant yeah, I'd margin. Say so. Certainly in terms of exposure, right? I mean, there might well be some mobile games that are beating it in terms of revenue. But in terms of overall exposure, mindshare, the game that everybody is talking about and wants to play if they've only just heard about it is PUBG. Yeah, like the, these types of games do not come along very often. Um, and I mean, there, I think this is in big part to streaming the game works the game works very well for streaming in a way which is completely counter to esports it's very interesting right that like yeah yeah it works for streaming in a way that it can't for esports and vice versa like it is really weird to see because typically they go hand in hand right because they're easy to watch that's what you want an esports game to be which is the mm. same as streaming but the great thing about watching somebody play PUBG is you are along for the ride with them. Like, Polygon do a, a, a PUBG stream called Awful Squad, and they've been doing it for probably a year or more now. I have, and their, their streams are usually 90 minutes to two hours. Mm. I have never, ever played PUBG. I have mm. watched every single episode of Awful Squad. Wow. It's, it's interesting, and you know, I've not played PUBG either, and I watch streams, and look, I don't watch streams, you know? I, no. I have got a 24-hour life, and I, I'm not a teenager who has time, or a 20, uh, you know, young 20-something who has time to watch streams, or, is, or has formed it as part of their lifestyle. But I have watched streams of this, you know, for half an hour at a time, and found it utterly compelling. And there was this one player I was watching who's who's pretty good i have to say um i can't remember his name but he was amazing he's like picking people off ridiculously well he didn't win the game he was in by the way i think he was down to the last two and he ended up second but 
I felt so involved in a way that I've not felt involved watching any other stream before. I felt like he was playing for me. Mm -hmm. It is fantastic. I mean, look, I've spoken about this. Uh, if it is possible for me to procure a graphics card this year, uh, <laughs> I will be buying uh making a pc at some point in 2018 the joke there is that graphics card prices and availability has gone really wonky because of cryptocurrency um people are putting cryptocurrency boxes and it's making it actually quite difficult to buy high-end graphics cards Hilarious. But, uh, but one of the main reasons i've said this a million times one of the main reasons i want to build a gaming pc is because i want to play PUBG. and also it's to PUBG is also kind of like a statement in a way for me. Like there are games that I can't play because I don't have a gaming PC. And mm. even though PUBG will eventually find its way to PlayStation 4, PUBG is just one of these games, right? That a lot of the time it doesn't work out so well for PC gamers, but every now and then it does, right? So like all VR stuff, all the good VR stuff is on PC, right? So there are just a bunch of reasons for it, but Man, PUBG is. Are you getting a Mac crazy. Pro? Sorry, an iMac Pro. No, because it's not going to do. It's never going to give me what I want. I mean, who knows what the Mac Pro will be able to do, right? Yeah, with expandability, yeah. but I just don't. I don't imagine there is anything Apple will be able to do to convince big PC game makers to to make games for them. I just don't see it. Like, I think Apple can put the hardware in place, but I I don't see Generation 1 of a new Mac Pro to be the thing that would change people's minds, right? I don't think so. No, I was just thinking from your perspective, whether you could do without a gaming PC and just get, like, an iMac Pro and dual boot into Windows to, well, to play PUBG. currently the iMac Pro would still be way more expensive and underpowered. This is true. So, like, I, I figure I may as well just bite the bullet, right? Like, because it's still going to not give me enough, and I'm still... Let's, let's say I spend the five grand right, in the basement iMac Pro. Even if it was powerful enough to play all the games that I want to, is it going to be powerful enough in 18 months' time? No, if it's, it's not, not, I'm stuck. I can't do yeah, anything to yeah. that machine. But if I yeah. buy a gaming PC, I can I can upgrade the RAM, I can upgrade the processor, I can upgrade the graphics card, right? These are things that I will in theory be able to do. So it feels like a more sensible investment because I'm not intending necessarily on up, on upgrading my Mac. So it will in theory be cheaper over the long term. But yeah, mm. we'll see. That mm. my expectation for myself this year uh is that I will finally get around to building that gaming PC. Get a gaming laptop. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. I, I, I haven't looked enough into exactly what my specifications will be yet. Um, but we'll see. I've got a razor blade. And I run, I would say, most of my uh, PC Steam games on that. Hmm. And it's good enough to do VR. I mean, I can stick um, an Oculus Rift in there and play VR stuff on it. It's here's got the thing, really though. decent chipset. Yeah, I I have a specific place that I would keep the machine. Oh, I don't believe you. you've actually got a place, haven't you? This is so, going to happen then. Well, like, so I have a corner desk, 
and I can just dedicate the other corner to a PC. So, like, if I got a gaming laptop, it would just live in the same place the PC would. You might as well get a PC then. Because I feel like gaming laptops are probably more expensive, right? They are pound for pound, yeah. Yeah, so I figure I may as well just go all in. If you got a place, just get one. You won't regret it, honestly. you got a Steam account, right? Yeah, of course. I've, awesome. I mean, I, well, okay. I have a Steaming account, but Steam account because I have some Steam games on the Mac. But, but yes, I have one, and so that's what that would be where I'm going to go. I guess I, I'm, I'm just going to let it play out over the next few months, and then uh, I'm going to start looking at it. I have some tabs open in Chrome about builds and stuff. <laughs> it's, it's a whole new world, man. Because I've decided I'm going to build it too. I might as well just get the whole experience. But it is, it is daunting. 